Hey everybody, first off before we get into this podcast, I want to apologize for it being so long uh, since I put out a podcast. Um, for those of you who don't know, my wife and I just had our first child um, in April, so we've been getting used to the, the, the life of being parents, which is, has been a very, very fun time. Uh, so just getting into that, into that swing of a new season, a new chapter of our life that obviously we don't have experience in. Um, been really busy with that and with work and some other other things around the house. So I wanted to apologize to you all for not being able to get a podcast out uh, as frequent as I would have liked to. But hey, we're back today, and uh, I believe that God has a word for you all. So if this is your first time tuning in. I want to say thank you uh, for listening to this podcast today. And I know uh, because I know that this word has spoke straight to my spirit. That I know that God has something that I'm going to say today. And I believe it's going to transform your life forever. So what I want you to do, grab a Bible, grab a pen, grab a notebook. Uh, I'm a note taker kind of preacher. So there's going to be several times I may say, hey, if you're taking notes or this is something to write down. Or even if I don't say that and something sticks out to you, at least you're prepared so that you can't miss it. Because I remember so many times I've been in incredible service. And I was like, man, that was incredible that he said. Didn't write it down and totally forgot it. So uh, put all distractions to the side. Obviously, if you're driving, you can't take notes. That's all right. That's why podcasts are here, so you can go back and listen to it. But if you're at home just chilling, just relaxing, or wherever you may be, maybe you're on vacation right now, and uh, you're at the beach, and I'm super mad at you because I didn't get invited. But anyways, wherever you're at right now, the moral of this suggestion is to uh, put all distractions to the side, and we're going to let God speak today. Amen. All righty. So I... I I'm going to actually be, this is obviously a podcast, but I'm, I may get a little preachy on you, so uh, if, for those of you listening, I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance if I get a little preachy. Um, normally when I do podcasts, I just have a bunch of notes that I've written down, and I just kind of go through the notes and flow with it, but uh, I preached a message about a month ago at my home church. Um, we had a men's night called Raise the Standard. And I preached a message that night that God has, I believe it was the greatest message, and I'm not saying this out of a place of arrogance, but the greatest message I've ever preached because it hit my core really, really, really a long time before I ever preached this message. So this was months and uh, five to six months, even closer to a year of preparation, putting this together and God dealing with me. Because uh, there will never be a time I deliver a podcast or preach the Word of God that God has not dealt with me first. I think that's how it should be for any preacher. Um, but let's let's get right into this. Uh, the, so the title of today's podcast uh, is going to be called Raise the Standard. So if you're a note taker, here's the title for this message, the title for this podcast. It's Raise the Standard. And as we get into this uh you may be thinking, well, hey, this is a pretty heavy, pretty meaty word. It's, it is. Um, a lot of this is very mature, uh, mature message, a very heavy, weighty. It's direct. It's straightforward. But I think that's where the body of Christ needs to be. I think there's a million preachers out there, a million ministers out there that'll tell you what you want to hear, that'll tickle your ears just so you're back the next following Sunday. And that's not what the gospel that I read. I see out through all throughout the Bible where Jesus is confronting Jesus is never preaching to win people over, win the opinions of other. He's preaching the gospel, and I never see him go into a situation uh, uh, or be in a situation and put his beliefs, what he stands for on the side, just so he can fit in and win friends and influence people. I don't see that. I see Jesus being direct, but in love. And I think that's, I mean, the Bible even says that he'll chastise those that he loves. So if there's correction, or if, if he loves you, he's going to correct you. So correction is guaranteed. Straightforward messages need to be heard now more than ever. So right when I get into this, I'm going to be sharing, for those of you all that don't know where I'm from, I'm from Huntington, West Virginia. So I'm going to share some statistics about Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, for those of you all that are listening that live in Huntington or in this tri-state area, I'm just going to share some statistics so you can kind of see the grasp of, um, of what's going on in our area. So in 2017, in Huntington, there were 236 deaths to overdose, 236 deaths. And in a four-year span, 
in West Virginia, 1,486 people died to opioid overdose in the state of West Virginia. Almost 1,500 people died in a four-year span in just the state of West Virginia to just opioids. 20% of the deaths that were in 2017 happened in Cabell County. That's the county that I'm from. Over 1,800 people overdosed in Cabell County in 2017. In 2016, in a four-hour hour period, I want you all to listen to this. In 2016, in a four-hour period, 26 people died to overdose. 26 people died in a four-hour period. You can do the math. Twelve. There's there is now uh, in, in, in the uh, in the city of Huntington, the divorce rate has gone up to twelve percent. Twelve percent of all marriages in this city have ended in divorce. Twelve percent. And now we see our population is at fifty thousand, around fifty thousand people here in Huntington. And I shared you these statistics because it's one thing to say, hey, we have a drug epidemic. It's one thing to say. Oh, you know, the enemy is in our cities, moving, da-da-da-da. But when you when you actually read what's really happening, it's different. And those of you who are listening to right now, I can tell where your spiritual walk is with God because while I was reading those statistics, if your spirit didn't jump or if you your spirit didn't say, Oh, my God, we've got work to do. If that didn't happen, then your wood is wet. And I believe this is this message is going to wake you up and stir you to get out and be the change that not only people want to see, but that you want to see. So real quick, we're going to dive right into this. I want you to go to John chapter 14, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. And it says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So my question to you is, you listeners right now, uh, can anything good come out of Huntington. And if you're from a different city, if you're from Columbus, Lexington, Louisville, wherever you're at all across this planet, I want you to insert your city. So I want you to insert, can anything good come out of Columbus, Ohio? Can anything good come out of Louisville, Kentucky? Can anything good come out of Lexington, Kentucky? Can anything good come out of New York City? So you see where I'm going. So can anything good, you see all these things happening uh, around you, but can anything good come out of this? And we read these statistics and that I just went over you went over with with you. And I believe that these statistics exist today because of this very reason. And I'm going to be mentioning the men a lot in this in this podcast or in this message. But women, this also applies to you. But I believe it that we find ourselves where we are today because the men of God have never taken their place. And so this may be directed specifically towards the men, but a lot of this women you can pick up and carry too, okay? So I believe we find our these statistics where they are today because the men of God have stepped out of their place and the men of God have not been true men of God. Well, I think we hear all these statistics, uh, and like I said, most of you, your spirit didn't even leap. Men, your men, women, children that are listening to this, most of you, your spirit didn't even leap. Why? Because the church, and when I say church, I'm talking the body of Christ. The church has become lukewarm and we have no spiritual awareness. No spirit. We've lost all discernment. We've lost There's not even spiritual gifts and activation anymore. We have lost all spiritual awareness and the whole church, the body of Christ, has become lukewarm and stale and complacent. So I want you right now to write this down. It's up to us. What's up to us? It's up to us. I want you to write that down. Whatever change you need whatever you need in your city to happen it's up to you so i want you to get that into your spirit so what we have done is we we as men and we as the body of a crisis we have allowed the culture to seep into the very fabric of the kingdom of god we have allowed culture speak better and speak greater than the kingdom of god you know when when the sinners come into the church i don't know if you know this or not but the sinners the lost at your work, at your school, in your family, they may not tell you around their friends, but they are dying on the inside and looking for a body of believers that they can cling to because they truly on the on the depths of their heart want change. But here's what happens. They come to the kingdom of God and they come into church. They come into the body of Christ and they see no difference from the church 
and the world. They see no difference from the body of Christ and the culture. And that's why who wants to be a part of a church that says they serve a king when their people look just like the culture? And so this is, this is, where, uh, this is where the body of Christ has messed up. So a city is made of people. So in order to change the city, you first must change the people. So this tells me that a city is only as good as its people. And this is why your city that you live in has not changed. Simply because the people of God and the men and women of God, the body of Christ, has not changed. We have reversed kingdom over culture and have made culture over kingdom. But I believe there's a group of people listening right now that are ready to say, you know what, I'm going to grab culture by the throat and throw it out of the kingdom of God because where we live, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God will be the only thing that is welcomed. Amen. So here's what we do. We have people wanting kingdom, but still want to operate in principles from the culture. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Here's what they're saying. Listen, I want to be blessed. I want to live in overflow. I want the favor of God on my life. But we, but we, but we lie. We cheat. Uh, we disobey. Uh, uh, we do all these things. We sin every single second of our life. Here's what we do. We do this routine of of never w of wanting church, but not wanting kingdom, and then we expect God to bless that. Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, we're going crazy at work. We're not treating our family right. We're, we're, we're being the total opposite of who we're professing on Sunday, but then coming to church on Sunday with our hands out saying, God bless me. Living like the culture, living off of principles from the culture, but expect, expecting kingdom blessings does not happen. Does not happen like that. So you're either in the culture or you're in the kingdom. You're not in both. Maybe you're saying, man, I can straddle the fence. I can do this. So on Sunday and Wednesday, be in kingdom. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I can be in culture. No, the devil owns the fence of you're lukewarm or you're straddling. You are in the culture. So in order to change the city, you first have to get culture out of the church. So if you're a note taker, that is something you got to write down right now. If your city, if you want your city changed, we've got to get culture out of of the church where to get culture out of the church and and, and so here here's what i believe i believe and and this is specifically for the men but women you can see where this also can play a part in 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 your walk with god too so a church is only as healthy as its families and families are only as healthy as its leader which is the man therefore a church is only as healthy as its men this is why there's such an attack on the men of God. Hear me today. Because the enemy knows if he can get the man, if he can get to the leader of the family, if he can get to the leader of the household, he's not only destroyed that family, but then has the potential to destroy every generation that's attached to that family. That is why that it is so crucial for the men of God to live righteously, live holy, and pursue the kingdom of God. Because your decisions affect more than just your current generation. You, you do understand that, right? The decisions you make today don't just affect your tomorrow, but they affect every generation that's attached to you. So I say all that to say this, that we are a, we are a city and body of Christ find ourselves today because of the body of Christ. We, the city that you live in, we find ourselves where we are today because of the body of Christ. We can't blame this on anybody else but us. We can't blame this on the government. We can't blame this on a political party. We can't blame this on a president. We can't blame this on anybody else but us as the body of Christ not being the kingdom of God. So I want you to write this down or, or if you're with somebody, I want you to say, hey, it's up to us. It's time to get things right. It is up to us. Change is up to us. This movement is up to us. This great awakening is up to us. What God wants to do in the earth is up to us. So get your armor ready. Get your gear ready because we are charging hell with a water pistol about ready to take back everything that the enemy has stole from us, about ready to take back territory. So it is us up to us. So in order for the church to get right, the men must first get right. See, I, I have despised this word for years. I have, 
uh, this word is revival. It's not that I didn't want revival. It's just that we have tossed this word around in church like we're playing hot potato, but nobody wants to do the work to see it come. God, we want revival. God, we are we, we want it. We want it. We're going to have small groups about revival. We're going to have a sermon on what revival is. We want revival. We're going to put a sign in front of the church saying three-day revival. I'm not against that, but why contain God to a three-day movement when the same God that was there in a three-day revival is the same God there every Wednesday or and every Sunday or whenever you have service? God is bigger than that. God can move the same way on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, or a Wednesday night as he could on a three-day revival. Nothing against that. We just we just can't conform or contain God to a three-day movement. So I have despised this word revival because, like I said, we we toss it around, but nobody really knows what it is, what it looks like, or how or how to get there. Even those that know how to get there, we still don't want to do it. We we have churches that don't pray. We have churches that don't fast. We've got people in the church that when the leader says, hey, corporate fast, or we pray this day every week, no one wants to show up. Why? Because we want a move. We want a great awakening. We want revival, but don't want any responsibility. We just want God to move and God to show up while we sit on our couch, and that's not how this thing works. You can't just go to the store and grab all the, all of the ingredients to need to bake a cake and put it on your kitchen counter and see all the ingredients and say, all right, we've got a cake. No, you can have all the ingredients. You can have great staff. You can have great leaders. You can have great people in your congregation. But until you take those ingredients and you work it and you plow it, and then that's when revival comes. Revival, the great awakening, this movement that God wants to do requires work. There's a responsibility to this. So I want you to write this down. There is a responsibility on me to see this thing happen. There's a responsibility on your life to see God move the way that he desires to do. There's no one excluded. There's no one that doesn't have a role. Everyone is just as vital as anybody else to see God move the way that he wants to move. So we, we, we have this picture in our mind that revival is when, you know, the doors on our church explode and the lost come. Yes, that is a fruit of revival. That is, that is an evidence of, of revival. But I believe that revival is not necessarily just when the world gets saved, but revival is when the church gets right. Revival is when the church gets saved because God would never send a rush and a flood of people to a house that is not healthy. Hear me, why, why would God send thousands of lost people to this church when this church is health, not healthy, when there's people in the congregation that are sinning week in, week out, when the staff's not healthy, when the leadership's not healthy spiritually? Why would God do that? Why? God would never send a soul to a place that is not does not have an environment to be nurtured. All right. So so revival is, is when the church gets saved and when the church gets right, that's when it's ready for the culture or for the world to come in and get changed. But see, here's what we've tried to do. The church is not right. The church isn't living right. We've tried to bring culture. We've tried to bring sinners into the church. And since the church wasn't right, it just looks like a big blob of culture. Kingdom is no longer evident. Kingdom is no longer present because the church is not doing what the church is supposed to do. So God would never send a move to a place that hasn't or hasn't done work to prepare the move. So if you're a note taker right now, I want you to write these things. I want you to write these things down. Pardon me as I get a drink. I want you to write these things down. These are five things that open the door for a great, great awakening. Five things that open the door for a great awakening. The first one. I want you to write this down, is hunger, hunger, hunger. This is another word. <laughs> this is another word that's tossed around in church all the time, uh, but I don't see anybody really hungry for God. You know, be hungry for God. Yeah, get hungry for him. Hunger, hunger and thirst for righteousness, hunger and thirst for him, but no one does it. And I believe that's changing today. So there's going to be a lot of scripture read. If you can't uh, fully get the full scripture written down. Just get where it's at and you can look at it later. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know, you look at the scripture and I hear people praying all the time, God, I just want to be satisfied. God, I just want to feel complete. 
I want, I want to feel satisfied. I want to feel complete. And he's saying right here, listen, if you want to be satisfied, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Simple as that. Read it. I mean, read it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. So what he's saying, if you want to be satisfied, all you got to do is hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you will be satisfied. So there you go. There's your recipe to being complete. There's your recipe to being satisfied, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Psalms 81.10, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. So notice that there is a part of hunger that has your responsibility. In the scripture, it doesn't say, I'm going to force your mouth open and feed you whether you want it or not. No. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. So there's a responsibility in being hungry for God. You don't just say, I'm hungry for him. And since you said that, he's going to fill you with it. No. There is a there's a responsibility and work you have to do when you're hungry. You know, if, if you're hungry naturally... You, can't, you don't just go home and sit on the couch and say, I'm hungry, and then the, the food just comes walking into your mouth. No, if you're hungry, you got to go somewhere to get it or do something to get it. You hear what I'm saying? So John chapter 7, verse 37 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone thirsts, to let him come to me and drink. So here we have a responsibility right here. So he's saying, listen, you may be hungry, you may be thirsty, and if anyone, so that means it's God's desire to, to, for, for you to come to him and drink, for you to come to him uh, and, and drink if you're thirsty. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So my question for you today is what are you hungry for? What, what is that thing that you can't go without on a daily basis? I want you to think about that. What what is that thing? What are, what are you truly hungry for? Because if you can can go throughout the day and not spend any time with God, then you're not hungry for him. It's simple as that. If you can go throughout the day and not spend time with God, then you are not hungry for him because hunger drives hunger uh uh uh, uh there there's a there's a passion and a pursuit that comes when you're hungry. Those that are hungry can't just sit down and not be in his presence. If you're hungry for him, you will do whatever it takes to find yourself where he is. The proof of your desire is in your pursuit. So whatever you pursue is where you're hungry for. So if you spend more of your attention on sports, on dating, working out, shopping, working, or even serving in the church, yes, I went there, than spending time with Jesus, then you're not hungry for him. then you're not hungry for him because the proof of your desire is in your pursuit. So what that says is whatever you're hungry for, I can tell by what you pursue. If you prefer pursue sports more than you do God, you're not hungry for him. If you pursue serving in church more than being in the presence of God, yeah, that's two different things, then you're not hungry for him. And see, here, here's, what, here's what, I, what I really think. I think some of us in the body of Christ don't have a hunger for him because we've never had a true experience with him before. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you have never had Chick-fil-A, the, the Lord's chicken, if you've never had that, then you can't have a hunger for it because you can only hunger or have an appetite for what you have already ate. Or what you have already experienced before. So I think some of you don't have a hunger for him because you've never had a true encounter with him. I'm not talking like you came up to the altar for your weekly feel good. So on Monday morning you feel good and you got energized. No, I'm talking like a nasty, ugly encounter. For those of you all that know what I'm talking about, just shout back at me. Uh, I'm talking like one of those encounters where there's snot, drool, uh, tears all over. You don't know what's not, what's drool, what's tears. You get up off the carpet or get up off the floor and you got an imprint, a little floor on your face and you got a, looks like a Lake Erie right where you got up off of from your tears. I'm talking about a radical encounter, a radical encounter. And so you can't hungry for, you can't have a hunger or an appetite for what you have not yet tasted. You can only have a hunger or appetite for the things that you have already experienced. Taste and see 
that the Lord is so good. Taste and see that he's good. See, revival is something fresh. It's something birthed from fresh encounters, not off an encounter you had 20-some years ago and trying to live off the crumbs off that thing. No, you will never find revival in a place where people are living off of old encounters. Never. Revival will be found in a place where fresh encounters are evident. You want to move, get a, you want to move of God, get around a people that just got up off the floor, that just walked out of their prayer closet and had been in the presence of Jesus. Revival is birthed out of a place where fresh encounters are evident. So don't if you want to move, you got to sometimes you got to change your circle. If you're hanging around a bunch of people that are content and satisfied with uh, how they felt him in middle school and how they got saved in high school or how they got filled with the Holy Ghost in college and it's been 30 years later and they're satisfied with that, get out the way, do whatever you do. Be, be like the woman with the issue of blood and do whatever you got to do just to get a hold of them, just to grab the him. Do whatever you got to do. Some, because listen, the kingdom of God sometimes is a narrow, is a, it, it, not sometimes, it is a narrow path and a narrow way, which means not everybody can come can with you. It's not saying you're better than them. It's just saying, listen, I've got to get to a place and I can't have baggage attached to me. Love you. I'm praying for you. Deuces. See you later. I got to get to kingdom. You'll never find revival in a place where people are living off of old encounters. You'll never find that. Never find it. Wow. And maybe some of you are saying this. Maybe some of you are saying, you know what? I should be good. I should be good. You know, I, I, I'm making sure multiple times throughout the week, multiple times during the day that everybody else around me is getting fed. I'm feeding them, I'm feeding them, feeding them, feeding But when was the last time you had a touch of God? When was the last time you had an encounter? When was the last time you listening right now? I want you to really think about it. When was the last time you had a fresh touch from God? Because I guarantee you, some of you that are listening right now, if you really close your eyes, and you really thought about it, man, when was, when was the last touch I had? When was the last time I had a true encounter? And you really thought about it, I bet you would be blown away because it's probably been so long, so, so long. And see, here's what we do. You, you, you spend your whole life feeding others, yet your spirit is starving. Starving. See, you can never... I want you to write this down if you're a note taker. You can never give the full Jesus... To others, when you are living a life feeding off of everybody else's crumbs. I'm going to give you an example. I have a husky. He's beautiful. His name is Coda. And in the process of training him, my wife and I or anybody was over and we had food and we're walking around. He would follow you just hoping some crumbs would fall out of your hand or fall off of your plate. And there was one time he was following me and some crumbs, some crumbs fell off and he looked it up off the floor and he kept following me. And I told him, I said, I said, Coda, why are you following me around trying to eat the crumbs that fall off my plate when your bowl is full of food? And it hit me. And I took a step back and I said, God, help us. This is the body of Christ. We're following pastors around. We're following church leadership around. We're following our mentors around with our hands open, trying to catch the crumbs from their sacrifice, trying to catch the crumbs off of what they what they are doing, trying to build this thing. Meanwhile, God's got the word of God in your face saying, this is a whole four course of meal for you for free. And you're trying to live off somebody else's crumbs. Trying to pour from an empty place will breed nothing but destruction. And here's what we do. We Here's why I think the body of Christ does not see fruitful altar ministry, altar care ministry at the altar like, like we used to see it. Because people come up to the altar and they'll be there every Sunday, every Wednesday, and here's why. Because the altar care people are living off of old encounters, not fresh encounters. Therefore, they're living off of crumbs, living off of old bread, stale bread. So what they do is they come up, they pray over somebody when they are living off of crumbs. And here's the thing. You can only deposit or produce what you carry. So if you're eating crumbs or living off of crumbs, you can only deposit or produce crumbs. So someone comes to the altar for a desperate move, you're living off crumbs, you lay hands on them, you pray for them, you just deposited crumbs, 
and not a meal that will sustain them. Nothing that will sustain them. You're giving them crumbs that'll do good for the week, and they'll be right back up there on a Sunday morning. Church, hear me today. Body of Christ, hear me today. Stop living off of somebody else's crumbs. Get a hold of God. Get a hold of His Word and begin to get a meal for yourself so you can deposit a four-course meal and no longer deposit little crumbs and become a crumb. No, 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 no. Stop being crummy and become a four-course meal. Hallelujah. Tweet that. Come on, get hungry for God. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. Repentance. Repentance. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. That's where we're going to go. I'm going to give you just a second to get there. I'm going to give you just a second to get there. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Repentance. And it says, from that time Jesus began to preach. Jesus preached this. Not me. Not you that are listening. Not your favorite preacher. Not your mentor. Not your parents. Not your best friend. Not you. No. Jesus preached this. But that tells me that if Jesus preached it, and Jesus is the model of how we're supposed to live today, that means this is supposed to be preached, and it is repent. Stop. We could stop right there and have church. Some of y'all would have thought I just cussed because it's been so long since you heard that word. Because the church stopped preaching it a long time ago. We'd rather tell you, hey, listen, God's grace he loves you where you're at. It's all right if you sin, you screw up. You don't need to repent. There's grace. No, 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 no. That's not the gospel that I read. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Acts 3.19. Here we go. Repent, therefore, and turn back. That's repentance. Repentance isn't just a sorry prayer to make me feel good. Repentance is a renewing of the mind, a transforming of the mind. I don't think the same. I don't act the same. I don't like the same thing. I don't listen to the same thing. I don't hang out with the same people. Why? Because my mind has been renewed. Therefore, everything about me changes. When my mind changes, everything else follows. And this is why I have a hard time understanding when people say, listen, I had a radical encounter with God. I repented. No, you didn't. You're still doing the same stuff. It's been three months since you told me you repented. You're still hanging around the same people. You're still doing the same thing. You're still talking the same way. Still eat, still drinking the same thing. No, repentance changes everything about you. Everything about you. Everything about you. Luke chapter 15 verse 7 says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who needs no repentance. Acts 2.38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We're going to get to that later. He's, it's a free gift. It's a free gift. The gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost. So I want to ask you this. What is repentance? What is repentance? Maybe you're saying, come on, this is easy. No, I want to... I want, I really want you to begin to think, what is repentance? Huh? What is repentance? I want you to write that down. What is repentance? I want you to think about it. What is repentance? I can tell you, let's start here. I can tell you what it's not. It's not a cute little prayer you say to ease your mind or so you feel good. It's not a twisting. It's not somebody twisting your arm to say a prayer so that they can have another uh, another number on this week's salvation list. No, it's not a get out of hell free card. It's not fire insurance. No, it's a renewing of the mind. It's a change in taste, a change in like, a change in attitude, a change in words, preferences, friends. Hear this, a change in music, a change in dress. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sorry, I could have just had church right there because some of you think you can still listen and dress and act the same way. Act but but call yourself saved anyways let's go on here so you can't accomplish anything in the kingdom until this is first done you can't accomplish anything in the kingdom of god until you have first repented john 3 3 jesus said i'll tell you the truth unless you are born again you cannot see the kingdom of god repentance kingdom repentance is is a is the gate that 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 enters you into the kingdom of god that's repentance Repentance is the gateway to the kingdom of God. You don't get kingdom without first repenting. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody, 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 nobody comes to the Father but through me, Jesus, being Jesus. Number three, this is the third thing, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Second Corinthians chapter 3, 17 says, Now the Spirit, the, the, the Lord is the Spirit, 
And when the spirit of where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is why I have a hard time when you say that you're not able to see freedom at your workplace. No, it says wherever the spirit of the Lord is and that the spirit of the Lord is in you. That means wherever you go, freedom should be following you. <laughs> Come on, that, that should have made you just shout right there. That was great. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've told you. So you need counsel in your life. They just said the, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a counselor. If you need counsel in your life, ask for the Holy Spirit. He's, he, he's a counselor. He'll teach you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. Acts 2, 3, verse 4. So here we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. There appeared to them tongues as a fire being distributed and resting on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They, not a certain people, everybody, was filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to speak. Acts 4.31 When they had prayed, the place that they were assembled together, so unity was present. Huh. You want the Holy Ghost to fall, get united. You want the Spirit of God to move in your services, in your ministry, get unity, get united. Cut every Jezebel spirit out that doesn't want unity. Cut them all out and get unified. And they were filled with the Spirit of God and spoke the Word of God with boldness. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 1 Corinthians 2.11, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Likewise, nobody knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. This means if I want to know the things of God, there's nobody, there's no better person than the Holy Spirit to learn from. See, the, the Spirit of God will do for you what a phone booth did for Clark Kent. You'll, you'll go in, Clark Kent, come out looking like Superman. Come out with a supernatural power. A new look, new clothes, new wisdom, new mindset. See, the Holy Spirit will change you forevermore. This is why I don't understand why the body of Christ doesn't talk about the Holy Ghost. We put them in a back closet and then say, God, have your way Sunday morning. We throw them in a back closet. Holy Ghost, have God, have your way. So here's what we do. We say, God, have your way. Put the Holy Ghost in the back closet. But I, I, I want to tell you that if you want to move, the Trinity has to be present. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Here's why. There's things that the Father can, can do that the Son and the Holy Ghost can't. There's things that the Son can do that only the Son can do. There's things that the Holy Ghost can do that only the Holy Ghost can do. So if you want a move, the Trinity has to be present, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So if you want the Holy Ghost in your life, ask Him to be with you on your job, in your home, in your family, in your school, wherever you're at. I want you to write down right now or shout in your spirit, we want the Holy Ghost. Come on. We want the Holy Ghost. We want him, we want him on, my own, on work, at our job, at our school, in our family, in our own life, in our church. We want the Holy Ghost. Acts 2, 14, verse 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judah, Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Come on, this is about to get exciting. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. Come on, they're just filled with the Holy Ghost. Since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall, shall dream dreams. Come on, if you're a parent and you heard that, that should have just made you want to take a lap in your car, in your home, wherever you're at. It should have made you gone crazy when I said that your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. See, this is why the, the enemy wants to bring division in age groups because he knows that the young men will see visions and the old men will dream dreams. And if the young and the old can get together, the vision and the dream comes together. Dear God in heaven, just imagine what would happen. 
And then this makes me happy because then I go to Acts 1, 5 and read that for John the Baptist was baptized with water, but you, not a specific, not, not a certain people, you, everybody listening, it's God's desire for you to be baptized with the Holy Spirit right now. So I came to declare to you today that God is about ready to crack open my God, crack open the windows of heaven and pour out his spirit all over you, all over your family, all over your children, all over your, your brothers, your sisters, your mom and your dad, your workplace, everybody around you. God's desire is to crack open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing over you that you do not have room enough to contain it. So now I want to go to number four. I don't know about you, but this this is good. This is good. This is good. I feel I really feel God speaking to somebody right now. Number four, it's sacrifice. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not just one person, not a group of people, but for many. So if Jesus came to serve, what makes you think that you're you're too good to serve? <laughs> oh, come on. Someone's getting helped right now. God's helping somebody right now that thinks they're too arrogant, they're too good, their title's too big to serve, they can't pick up the chair, they can't grab the broom, but you want the anointing. You want to cast out devils, but you don't want to serve. Now, this is a prerequisite for the anointing is servant, servanthood. So Jesus came to serve, so what makes you think you're too good to serve? Luke 6.35 says, But love your enemies and do good and, and lend, hoping nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the highest. Philippians 2, 4. Look, each of you, not only for your own interest, but to the interests of others. To the interest of others. This is, this is uh, something that I believe is very, very important in the body of Christ, is sacrifice. Because it's self-sacrifice that grabs the attention of God. You know, self-sacrifice is entry-level to Christianity. So if you can't self-sacrifice, you can't sacrifice, then you will not get far, far off in this Christianity, in this walk with God. Because self-sacrifice is entry-level. It's the beginning levels in the kingdom of God. It's the very first stepping stone to greater things is self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. See, see, this is why fasting is so important. Fasting opens up the windows of heaven over your life. You want a powerful prayer life? Fast. You want a unique power in your life? Fast. You do know that fasting is a type of spiritual warfare, right? Fasting isn't something we just do to tell you just to do it. No, fasting is biblical. Fasting is a type of spiritual warfare. Fasting increases the anointing on your life. Fasting increases the authority of God, the power of God, and the faith of God. All of those come alive when you sacrifice and you lay your own fleshly desires. You lay down what you want and fast. You'll find yourself getting stronger and stronger. Some of you are listening right now. You've commanded enough. You've rebuked enough. You've prayed enough. You've uh, uh, shouted enough. You've worshipped enough. You've intercessed enough. You've done warfare enough. Enough. And it seems like that thing still won't be broken. Change still is not here. It's time for you to fast. It's time to add fasting into your warfare strategy. Matthew 17, 21. Many of you all know this scripture of the story. These kind come out by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. So there right there you see that fasting is important. Self-sacrifice and obedience is entry level to Christianity. And number five. Last but not least, holiness and righteousness. 1 Peter 1, 15-16, it says, But as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all of your conduct. Not some of it, not on certain days, not around certain people, all of your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 27 through 8, verse 20, uh, or chapter 20, verses 7 through 8. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my statutes and do them, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean. We hear the scripture and we're like, oh, don't touch what is unclean. Okay, all right, what does that mean? Not only things uh, uh, that are unclean that may be dirty, but this is also saying don't touch anything that is not producing life. 
Why would you want to be a part or touch anything that is not producing life? And this word holy that we read in many of these scriptures, we think holy means perfect. Uh, that is a type, but this, this holy is saying, uh, this word holy is meaning separate. This is why the angels 24 7, uh, 365 are in heaven going around the throne of God saying, Holy, holy, holy. What they are saying is, You are separate. There is nobody like you. You are separate. You're in your own category. You are your own. There's nobody even close to you. That's that's what holy So So we want to live a life that's separate, a life that's holy. See, it's the Holy Ghost that separates you, not just striving to be separate every day. You know, we, we want to live a life that's separate. We want to live a life that's righteous, but this cannot be done until you first repent. Holiness is a byproduct, is fruit of repentance. This is why some of you right now are listening. You're like, listen, I want to live holy, but I just can't keep sinning. I just can't stop sinning. It's because you truly have not yet to repent. So I want to help somebody listening right now. Stop trying to fake your salvation. Stop trying to fake your repentance. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. Do not think for one second you're fooling God. And do not think for one second you're not the only, you're the first person that's come in the church of God and or the kingdom of God and the body of Christ in time to fake your repentance. You are not the first and you won't be the last. So do me a favor, sit down, grab the horns of the altar and begin to repent. Grab the horns of the altar and begin to repent. So I just want to ask something right now as we're getting to the end of this podcast. What happened to the people that used to live a life that was set apart? You know, I hear all these stories about, you know, my, my grandparents and, and their generation. And some even in my parents' generation, I hear all these stories about, you know, you going to church and the altar being filled hours before service started with people just seeking the face of God. What happened to those people? God never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God, if God didn't change, there's one thing that changed, and that's the people of God. So I want to ask you, where are those people that used to live a life set apart? What happened to the people that were more concerned with the word and their prayer life than making sure they were on the right key and that the musicians sounded perfect? What happened to that? Because I will tell you right now, I will take someone off key every day, but has an anointing. I will take that person over somebody that has all the talent in the world, but not an ounce of anointing because their character and their integrity is trash. And see, this is why we have a generation of servants in the body of Christ that serve every week at church, but are so far from God, simply because the church what the church used to promote, we don't promote anymore. The church used to promote character. The church used to promote integrity. It used to promote holiness and righteousness. Now the church prom promotes personality. It promotes looks. It promotes dress, who you're connected to, relationships. Meanwhile, the person that's living holy, living righteous with great character and great integrity is not even being used or touched. Why? Because they don't look like the part. don't look like the person. We'll grab the closest person to perfection. Meanwhile, the person that's living right is sitting in the back row and nobody knows them. You know, musicians and servants at the church, you, you know, you can sing every service, play every service, work on the altar care team every service, be the best door greeter, work in the parking lot, work in the nursery, and still go to hell. Church, hear me today. Stop exalting gifts and begin to exalt character and exalt anointing. See, what we have done is we have taught a generation that their hands are more important than their heart. Why? Because we have told those playing uh, 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 the instruments, singing, those serving, we have told them, hey, listen, you're doing a great job doing this. You're doing a great job during this, but we've never asked them, how's life? What do you need? How can I pray for you? What can I do for you? So what they have thought is that the kingdom of God and God is more concerned about what they can do for the kingdom than where they're going to spend eternity. Yeah, that's heavy. Yeah, that's deep. But that's where the church is at today. And I refuse to let the church stay where we're at today. I refuse to let the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, to stay where we're at. 
I refuse to do it. But I believe, listen, maybe you're saying that maybe this is awful aggressive. You're being straightforward and people may get offended. That's okay. I'm not here to preach for the opinions of people. I'm preaching to make sure hell is depopulated and heaven is populated. So listen, where where, where offense isn't intended, none should be taken. (laughs) And most of you that may feel offended listening to this, maybe it's because this word's for you. Maybe you're saying, well, Isaac, you sound a little angry. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you're, you know, you're just supposed to love everyone. You're just supposed to accept everyone and everything. Yes, I do love you. That's why I'm telling you the truth. There's this thing that's called a righteous indignation when you're saying, listen, I've had enough of enough. I'm sick and tired of sick and tired of hearing all these promises of God wants to do and how he wants to move on the earth, but not seeing it. And I refuse to be 105, 80 years old, 70 years old, 60 years old, 50 years old and say, hey, listen, it took 50 plus years, but we finally saw the move. No, I want to see it right now. And I want you to be a part of a movement. I want you to be a part of what God wants to do here on the earth. So stop listening to culture, repent, get into the kingdom of God and watch what God wants to do in your life. Because listen, I promise you it's God's will to see a move. It's God's desire to see a move here in the earth. That's his will. That's his plan. But the church has escaped that. We've ran from it. But today I believe that you listening right now are ready to stare at every devil, to stare at every principality that is trying to enter the church. You're standing with your shoulders squared, ready to take on hell with a water pistol. And if that's you right now, I want you to, to, to if you're outside of the car or whatever you're doing, I want you right now to stand up and sh- and say right now, this is me. I'm a part of this move. I'm ready to do whatever it takes. Why? Because it is up to us. This next move, it's up to us. What God wants to do, it's up to us. The next generation is counting on us. And we owe this next generation a move of the Holy Ghost.